Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, here with co-host Andy Dolich and our guest in Cherie Sam. Really excited to have Cherie on in that she's the new managing director of the Northern California PGA Foundation. Um, just tons of different experiences that we'll dive into. Uh, we won't mention all of them. We'll, we'll kind of feature them and drop them throughout the episode as um, she's got a couple of different rings, a couple of different jerseys. Um, we'll get into it. But Andy, why don't you kick it off? Well, um, I always sort of smile in these sessions when we say kick it off because it's tip it off, tee it up kick it up. You know, I mean, we got so many sports, we're going to have to come up with all the different ways to start a conversation. So in this one, I would definitely say tee it up, right, Cherie, and then tip it off. So we're teeing. Um, and I, I guess the, the place to start is literally a bit of a definition of when you say PGA, people get it, it's golf but you add foundation in it, that becomes a little more complicated. Then you have a number of different golf organizations around the world um, in terms of the USGA and the PGA Tour. Um, so can you take a moment to explain to the listeners what the PGA Foundation of Northern California is all about and how it integrates with the rest of the country. Absolutely. Um, thanks for having me, guys. I'm a big fan, big, big fan for, for a while. So it's a pleasure to be here on the show. Um, uh, yeah, I have, I'm a great organization. It's the Northern California Professional Golf Association Foundation. Um, and we're part of the Northern California PGA section. Um, we're the uh, nonprofit arm. Um, and we have different programs. Our focal program is, is helping veterans and it's, that program is called PGA Hope. Um, so with, with that program, we incorporate veterans from around the area that um, all veterans are welcome, um, but we, uh, we have a, a majority of the vets, you know, have uh, PTSD, uh, a disability, some disability. And um, uh, our main focus is just to, I'm gonna say it like Bob, Bob uh, Epperly. Uh, he's on our board and he's also one of our lead professionals, uh, instructors. So I was talking to him the other day just about, you know, what, what are we about? Like, what are we about? And he, he, he summed it up well. He said it's for the veterans, it's about a healing process. Um, we give them the opportunity to heal, um, whether that's to leave the world of isolation. Um, a lot of our vets suffer from PTSD. So um, we give them a place to go where they have camaraderie. Um, and get to be around people who understand them, where um, they don't feel like uh, a circle in a square environment. You know, um, there are other circles around. They're able just to let their guards down and be them and live and, and just be vibrant. So um, I thought, you know, Bob, Bob gave me goosebumps. I think that's the best way to describe it. We, we help in the heal and progress of assimilating these heroes, um, you know, back into, to civilian life back into society, to being an active part of society. Um, you know, like you have to think like these are veterans, like these are, are guys who have displayed discipline, uh, strength, commitment, um, you know, in, in their journey in the military. Um, and that's still part of them. Um, we just try to give them an environment where they could um, reconnect with all of that. Because, um, um, you know, their experiences are, are different 
some of the experiences. Like if you're not in the military, you just don't know. Um, so I'm just very fortunate to be a part of that, that, that group and that organization. That's what we're about. Um, you know, we're fairly new nonprofit. It's our five or six year, and we've already served uh, over 1,200 veterans in the area. Um, and um, I've only been a part of it for a few months, but um, every day um, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a blessing to be a part of the organization. Sheree, as you, as you think about the impact, right, I, I think that word is used often, but in the right situation, very powerful. And so impact, obviously, through a fundraising component, but then impact through lives who then touch other lives. And from a golf perspective, what is the game of golf? I mean, you obviously had an extensive basketball career, but just the sport of golf, what does that do for not only those veterans, but then the community around them. Right. You know, Jake, you mentioned a word that stood out to me. You said impact, right? So throughout, since high school, my college journey, sports have had such an impact in my life. Um, you know, it's been a big part of my life. And I've seen the impact that we could have on communities. Because when, you know, when you're, when you're in college or you're in the uh, WNBA, you go out into your community, you do different initiatives with kids the community, whatever, right? So you're impacting those lives. You have an impact on those lives. And what we're doing in the foundation is the same. Now we're impacting lives through golf. Um, and, and, you know, golf teaches you life lessons, just like basketball teaches you life lessons. You draw from that, um, you know, and what they're learning in golf, they're drawing from it. Um, some of them are probably already have it, but they're drawing different lessons in life about adversity and resilience. <laughs> Dude, golf is so challenging. Like, it's such an emotional like roller coaster. Oh, I hit that one good and I'm in the bushes, can't find my ball, I lost the ball. So it teaches you, you know, to hit adversity, but you know what? Drop your ball, swing again. So that's kind of like the, what we try to um, help them in these journeys in their life, just be resilient and push through. And to me, that's so far, like with getting my golf game, that's the biggest lesson I've learned from golf so far is just about resilience, you know, at hitting adversity, being able to forget about it and move on. So that's the biggest one, lesson. As I'm listening, one of the greatest parts, and all three of us are golfers at different levels, and one of the greatest parts of golf, no matter who you are, is you never beat the game. Nobody has ever beaten the game or ever will. Even the greatest get broken down by the game. They can come back. And we recently had an event um, for... Uh, our hope group. Um, and again, you, you would just, anytime you might be having a bad day in your life, if you think you're having a bad day, come to one of our events and just see the incredible energy and the positivism of people like Bob Epperly and the men and women who have served our country. You won't ever complain about something that you might be bitching about. And, um, I was very, very lucky in Memphis. Um, I got to play in the FedEx and Jude uh, Pro-Am several times. And, and one of the occasions I played with a great golfer, Carlos Franco, who won a few times on tour. And what people don't really know about the professional Carlos Franco is he's from that golf hotbed of Paraguay. Most people don't even know where the heck Paraguay is. And how did he learn to play golf? Uh, his dad was the only greenskeeper in Paraguay. Why? Because they only had nine holes of, in golf, of golf in the entire country. So that's how he learned. Now, 
are Carlos Franco of the NCPGA um, is blind and has been, uh, you know, a great member. And I happened to grab lunch with our Carlos Franco and was telling the story. And when we recently, Sheree, you hadn't joined us, but when we had uh, our big event at Pebble, they met each other. I mean, uh, PGA Carlos Franco and our Carlos Franco. So how could you think about a guy in Northern California, a guy in Paraguay, going instantly to end this in the pro-am that I played with Carlos, this had to be 2005, 2006, boom, an ace. Um, you know, and I turned to him and, and go, I mean, people are jumping around and he is, Carlos Franco has one of the most beautiful swings on tour, you can ask anybody in your world. And I said, Carlos, how many? And he turned to me and he kind of looked and said, I don't know, six, seven, eight, I, I don't exactly remember. <laughs> Like six, seven, or eight. Holy cow. So it just shows the world and um, in, in our country today where we have great divisions. Um, golf has shown in COVID and in the social fabric being ripped apart that it can play a significant role, right, Sheree? Oh, absolutely. That's that resilient, I guess, a tiny takes that on. But yeah, it's, you know, it's it's been a blessing too for that same aspect of golf that we were able to still have our clinics and the veterans were still able to come out. But um, yeah, I mean, golf, golf's a fantastic game. I think um, the lockdowns or whatever has kind of um, brought people to the game, um, realizing, you know, hopefully the, 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 the necessary for us is like those people continue to be fans of golf, right? They continue to follow the game, but um, the game has definitely seen a significant increase during this time. Um, so uh, it's an exciting place to be for golf. Um, now people have the chance to to be a part of the game and to learn about the game. Like me, like I, without this position, I probably wouldn't have played golf as much or, or did my research to learn more about golf. So I think it's a great uh, time for, for people to really learn about the game and, and the things that, um, the great things that it-, it And that, that brings up another point. And Jake, maybe you can get your vast research organization, right? Because there's a lot of businesses that are struggling, right? You just look at the restaurant business I'm guessing I go to Stanford to hit balls. I'm guessing that the driving range business is gone off the grid. Oh my goodness. I, I mean, it's the only time that I've ever seen in all my time living here that you have to wait for a tee at a driving range. Are you seeing that? Oh, absolutely. I'm experiencing it. I, I live right by the Presidio Golf Course, right? Like it's literally my backyard. Oh, forget that oh. one. You better call I'm in me line. Like, like, I, I learned what times to go, but the, the, remember the first time I went out? Oh my goodness, I stood in line for like 30 minutes. To go so hit Jake, are you, seeing, are you seeing that where you are in Arizona? Are you hearing from your colleagues that the driving range business has gone nutso? Well, not only the driving range business, but just tea times in general. I mean, the 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 ability to get a tee time where you can actually play all 18 holes is, is hard. Uh, it just, it just is, and especially in States where you're playing all year round. Um, it's even harder because people are just continuing and it's becoming a habit. I almost, you know, we just kind of passed the new year here and I almost equate it to that new year's resolution, people getting back in the gym, right. When that was a, when, when that was a thing and 
the first like three weeks in a gym, you're like, I don't even want to go because there's so many people you have to wait in line for this machine or that machine. And then you just waited, you know, like till probably mid February and it became normal again. But I don't necessarily think that's the case. Right. And, and you just continue to see the trends. Shri, I, I go back to um, how do you impact not only the veterans, but then the surrounding community, right? So you mentioned, or Andy mentioned at the beginning, kind of the differences between the PGA of America and so on. And you mentioned the word instruction, right? And then there's this component of a section. Um, just explain a little bit of how you try to impact the community around you as well, um, whether that be through the youth side or, or uh, fundraising, scholarships, et cetera. Right. Yeah, you know, the, so the section, the Northern California PGA section, we service Northern California area, and that's from Sacramento to the Seaside Monterey area, um, and also parts of Nevada. So it's in, it encompasses a large area, and we have like the PGA pros uh, within those areas uh, that, that compete in different tournaments and whatnot. But on the foundation side, we, we have um, scholarships. Uh, we have the Langley Scholarship, uh, which is a scholarship that goes to youth in the area. So kids that are graduating from high school are going to go into college and, uh, you know, golf has been a part of their journey. Um, so we filter out the applications we get for that. And um, we need to reproduce uh, those scholarships to those kids at the end of the year. Um, you know, we also uh, work part of our arm of our foundation is to, to service our professionals, our PGA pros in the area, right? So we also have a scholarship for, for those that they could apply to, um, whether it's to... Um, further their initiatives and their communities or to, or to help them um, uh, with education and knowledge and continuing their game. So we have different arms where we try to affect the community in different ways, you know, and we're looking to grow. Uh, that's, you know, one thing that I'm excited about in, in this position is we're looking uh, to diversify, you know, and um, be more inclusive. Um, so I'm, I'm eager to, to get to youth in certain areas that otherwise are not exposed to golf. Um, I think there are some great youth programs now um, that our foundation will be looking to, to partner with, like Youth on Course and First Tee um, and those type of organizations. So, you know, like it's the more you, it's golf has like we're doing our things in the community and impacting a lot of lives. And uh, I think the biggest thing for us is just sharing our message um, and letting people know uh, all the good work that we do and, um, you know, just attacking the community that way and let them hopefully engage them to they want to be a part of us, right? That's, that is a perfect, um, as we uh, make the turn at nine, uh, perfect uh, analogy. Um, so we have a lot of listeners who are trying to figure out their career paths, men and women from all over the country who've gotten started in the business and see the challenges today again with COVID and, and no fans in venues. Your story is very instructional because you've had a number of positions. So if you could, if you could walk through your path from the time of pounding the ball and, and taking a thousand shots and then developing a career after that and how you came to be working uh, in your position at the NCPJ of Northern California. Sheree, I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt real quick because Andy said a thousand shots, which uh, you do uh, have over two thousand points in your career. So I'm wondering how many of those were threes. <laughs> wow, 
you know, I wasn't a, I wasn't a, a, a big three point shooter. I was, I was, a, but I did, I did put them up. Um, I, that's a good question. I'd be curious to know, but I, if I was open, I was shooting it for sure. Um, you know, I had that scores mentality. So I would have that pull up and then get into the rim, but um, you know, I, I diversify a little bit, um, <laughs> but, and, you know, just, just talk, just going back and, and thinking about my journey and, you know, it all began for me at Vanderbilt and I had the opportunity to play there. And I think uh, coach Foster, uh, Hall of Fame coach, uh, great, great guy, still a, a big part of my life. You know, he he instilled a lot of the things, the discipline, uh, the accountability in me that, you know, that guided me through my professional career. I was very fortunate, um, you know, to win two championships. But how my journey was different, like, if you go back and you look at all my teams, seven of the teams I played on, including the ABL, San Jose Lasers, folded. Like, those teams no longer exist. Um so as I'm going through that journey on those different teams, you know, that intrigued me. Like I, I be, I was immediately intrigued by the business side, like mostly to figure out why all these teams that I'm playing on, folded, right? Yeah, if so I'm like, owning one of those, I don't want to do what they did. Like, please, like, can't anyone get it right? So that piqued an interest there. Um, went on in my career, played for some great organizations, um, played in uh, Miami Soul. Uh, that's when I, I really, I think my basketball career kind of, took off. I was an all-star that, all that year, playing for the great coach, Ron Rodstein, and just being in that organization, you know, with Pat Riley and those guys, like, just, again, that discipline, that accountability, that structure, you know, you had to come in and get, and get on the scale and, you know, take your body fat and just all that, all the things that he do, we did as, as a team as well. So um, that, again, so that journey through that organization, you're a great part of the organization, that organization folds. And then I leave and from that point on, I just took a little bit from each organization that I played for and tried to instill it in my everyday life. And then as I planned for what I wanted to do um, after basketball, um, I, from that point, I knew I wanted to go into the business of basketball. I wanted to be involved in basketball. Um, retired from playing, like within six months, I got an offer to coach. Nowhere on my, on my radar was coaching. So for those who, who are, are, are planning their journey, just know there are twists and turns. You just got to go with the journey. So went, coach, went, accepted the offer at Eastern Illinois University. You know, if you're a football fan, that's what they're known for. Uh, from Sean Payton to, you know, Tony Romo, all those guys. So I coached there for four years. Um, and again, coaching was not something that I had planned to do. Um, but I knew I wanted to be close to the game. But I enjoyed four years of coaching there. And again, you learn so much, like I, I'm leaving from playing and now I'm in coaching. Um, and that part of my career just really helped me, one, it helped me realize as a player, all the stuff that the coaches really had to do to plan for one game or for one practice. Like there's a lot of preparation and, um, you know, for that. So that, that part of my journey, I learned a lot about that. We didn't win as many games as we would like, you know, what happened. So, you know, we, our contract didn't get renewed after four years there. And, um, that gave me a, some time to just, again, center and reflect, you know, do I want to go back into coaching? Um, you know, I still had that business administration side in my ear and, um, I was fortunate enough to get opportunity to transition into the administration side, uh, became athletic director in the high school, on the high school level, um, here at Mercy High School in San Francisco. So, um, again, I'm still in sport, um, but now I'm an administrator, so I'm not a player, I'm not a coach. I'm on the other side of, of the line completely. Um, and just, um, again, 
what I learned from that part of my journey is just communication. You know, I have like 25, 30 coaches and I gotta, I gotta communicate with them effectively. I'm running an athletic department. So um, it's, no, it's not quite division one, but with high school athletics, you know, there's a different side because that's the relationships with kids when they're at such, you know, a young age in their sport and developing their sport. So that was- And their, pa and their parents and their teachers. And the, yeah, you deal with the parents, but you got a whole nother realm to deal with. But um, during my uh, four years uh, with that Mercy and that Bay School, I got exposed to that side of sport. And again, you know, I'm thinking, okay, this could lead to maybe me being an athletic director in college, kind of wanting to stay in the business administration realm. And then um, next thing you know, Andy, I'm getting the, the uh, call from Jennifer Azy, who says, you know, Andy Dover sent me this email, you know, take a look of this opportunity, I think it's great. And I say, okay, and I look at it and I call her back and I'm like, Jen, you sure? Like, this seems like a lot, like you think I'm qualified? She's like, Sheree, are you kidding me? Um, so we, you know, we just talked about the job and the position and um, I, I called Andy and just to learn more about it. And, you know, I was attached, you know, I come from a military family, um, my, my grandfather, my dad, my brother, um, you know, they all served um, and I have a nephew serving now. So that part, you know, got me automatically. Okay, this is a great opportunity. I have a passion for it. It's part of, it's part of my blood, right? It's part of me. Um, I got my journey through sports. If I didn't go through sports, didn't have the opportunity in basketball, I totally would have went to the military, like no doubt. Um, that would have been my journey. But, um, you know, things happen out of the blue and you just take a little bit from each place you've been throughout your career and, um, you know, good things happen. That's what I did. And now I'm in this uh, magnificent position with a great opportunity to impact lives through sport and continue you know, my way in the business, in the sports administration, the business. And, and we've talked about this and you, personally, and we've talked about it on the show, teamwork, leadership, and trust, right? The military stands for that. Sport lives that. If you don't have all three, you ain't going any place. Mm -hmm. And in our society today, we're lacking a lot of that. And we need to build back that teamwork, leadership, and trust in, in any kind of organization that we can. So, when, when you think about, you know, the journey from going player to coach, right, that's a step that not a lot of players can, can actually take, uh, you know, the, just because you're, you are a player doesn't mean you're going to be a great coach. And there's a lot of, we'll just call it a leap of faith that needs to take place in order to go run and do that. Um, but it seems like you had to kind of take that leap of faith from player to coach, coach to administrator, administrator to the role you're in now. Just walk us through your mindset around kind of whether it's that leap of faith or just that confidence that you have instilled in yourself to be able to go and accomplish those things and, and also not be, um, you know, fearful of starting from scratch, right? And learning, learning from a, a brand new slate. Absolutely. I'm going to use a, a phrase from one of my favorite uh, persons, uh, Robin Roberts, you know, when fear knocks, you answer with faith. Um, you know, and it's just, for me, that's what it was. It was just following my passion, something I had a passion for, and, you know, you don't know, you just have to follow your passion. And, and uh, if you have an opportunity, you know, any opportunity is a good opportunity. So if you have an opportunity and it's something you're passionate about, you know, my advice is to follow it. Um, and it's not always gonna be uh, a straight line. You know, like I said, they're gonna be zigs and zags. Um, but with, with me, it was just following that passion for sport um, from, you know, in basketball, because um, it's, you know, we talk about teamwork and, and things like that's, that's how I developed me, my person, my character. Um, so 
And again, uh, a bright side of all my teams folding um, is that I got, I got to experience different styles of leadership in different organizations, right? I got to be around different leaders. You know, Ron Rothstein was a feisty guy, but he was also compassionate, you know, and understanding a lot of empathy. You know, Bill Lambeer was Bill Lambeer, <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, but Bill was a great leader. Bill, Bill was, uh, uh, he held you accountable. Um, he, he communicated effectively. You know, if he told you something that was no, no, uh, you know, it was it was straightforward. You were going to understand what he wanted from you, right? There was no no gray area. It, he was direct, um, you know. And then, um, you know, so all that like I learned a little bit from all those leaders, you know. And you know, I'm also an avid reader, right? So I different leaders who I who I um, like, I read their books, right? So when I was first in the Bay for the Lasers, I was Bill Walsh, Bill Walsh with the 49ers. So I grabbed his book, um, you know. And Bill was he was a, a leader that was about the people in your organization, right? You gotta, you gotta treat them with the highest regard. You gotta hire good people and you gotta create a good environment. So he was like a people leader. Um, you know, and then you take Mike Skrzeski, you know, he, I loved his book, Leading from the Heart was one of my favorites. So he was a compassionate leader. Uh, he was disciplined, but he was also compassionate um, and stuff. So, and then the ultimate is John Wooden, right? You got the pyramid of success. So um, that pyramid of success, like if I go through it now, um, you know, each word, I try to think of a, a place where I was, where I experienced that. And I got an opportunity to, to experience a lot of those uh, parts on the pyramid, right? So that, that all that just helped me uh, formulate my philosophy, my philosophy and who I am as a leader. Um, I'm a big John Gordon fan. Um, so positivity um, is, is a big part of my leadership, right? The power of positivity, being a, a positive leader, so an encouraging leader. Um, so all those things, like you just got to, you go through life and you go through different journeys and you grab different pieces um, to build your masterpiece. And that's, and I'm still doing it today. So that's, it's kind of how um, my, my journey and, and, and sports and all that collided to, to me to be an opportunity to lead this organization. As you're looking at the various chapters that you've written in, in your life with many more quality chapters to go, is there one time and you have one of those incandescent, incredible smiles that makes everybody feel good around you? Is there a moment that you kind of internalize and go, uh-huh, you know what? That was cool. I, I, I could dig that. Oh my God. Every as, day, as, really. as yeah. you look back. I mean, I, I, I when I was at Bay, um, you know, I, I answered this survey with the kids and you had to do a fun fact. And my fun fact was throughout my journey with basketball, I've been to 38 countries. So, wow. well, that's a wild fact. That's like, wow, you know, starting from USA basketball, when I did that from my freshman year in college, you know, all through like in my professional career. And then obviously as women, we go and play in Europe, you know, and then when you're in Europe Cup and Euroleague, you travel the world. So that's my wow. And I got all that through basketball. So yeah, every day I think back and I'm like, yeah, wow. You know, so that's, that's, uh, I've been very fortunate and have those experiences that I could go back to and really absorb we'll, now that you're out of it, you know. We'll, we'll get to, we'll get to which one of your 38 is in the rapid fire. I'll let, I'll let Andy uh, have a slam dunk there to start it off. But I, I want to ask one last question before we get there. You mentioned, you know, finding your passion and it's not as easy as just saying it, right? And of course you had the passion for basketball because you played it and you put your, your, your blood, sweat and tears into it for so long. But when you're working in the industry, 
the passion for the sport is not enough, right? It's, that's just one side, you know, fun piece of the business, but you have to have a passion for the business. And you mentioned understanding the businesses because those teams folded and, and maybe that became a passion of like, gosh, well, they can't make it work. So how can I, right? And I just want you to, are there any insights or pieces of advice you'd have to those who are trying to find those passions outside of the sport itself? Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, you know, for me, it was, a, I, like, I love sport, right? I played basketball, but I love sport. You know, as a kid, I was with the boys playing football or, you know, whatever the sport, you know, I'm competitive, you know, so I, I, I wanted to know about it. I wanted to learn about it. So um, I think if you're, if you're searching for your passion, I think you just have to, one, like, just reflect, you know, find out like what's something that if you couldn't do it anymore in your life, it would cause you misery or distress, you know? So like something as similar as that, just to figure out what it is you like to do. Cause that's a hard question. Um, you know, when I retired from playing, you know, like basketball, that was, that was it. So like basketball is gone now. So it was reflection. Okay. What do I really, really like to do? Like, what do I want to do? And I knew I wanted to be involved in sport, but with me too, it was about service. Um, so I was fortunate, you know, I, I, I worked uh, in high school, you know, for uh, Mercy. And so I was servicing those athletes. I was trying to make their lives better through sport. And then now, you know, here I am with the uh, foundation, again, um, servicing our veterans, but at the same time still being around sports. So it's just about really reflecting and figuring out what it is that gets you going. What is something that you really like to do? Um, and then not being afraid to pursue it. Um, you know, fear, fear is a liar, you know, answer fear with faith. So just, um, and having that and having the right energy, you know, I, I, I tell them if, if they're searching right now, some books I would recommend, easy book if you're not a big reader is um, Positive Dog um, by John Gordon, you know, feed the positive dog, find out what makes you positive, what, you know, what energies around you give you that, that energy and that enthusiasm. Um, so just some, yeah, Google stuff you're interested in and read or research, you know. So there, there's a perfect example in uh, the ABL, right? One of those uh, league failures that you talked about. And although he doesn't talk about it a lot, um, Joe Lacob, who is the fantastically successful owner uh, of the Golden State Warriors, um, excuse me for that, he was one of the founders of the ABL. And, and it takes failure to lead to success. Um, and, you know, you look at Jennifer and what Jennifer AZ mentioning her before, um, and your journey, our journeys, and many of the people that we've had on and listeners um, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Fail, you know, fall on your face and then don't boo-hoo falling on your face, get your ass up and get back at it, right? And we see that with veterans that we interact with as, as far as PGA Hope, right? Every day. Absolutely, every day. Reason you know. to say time out. I'm done. See you later. Bye. Yeah, you know, um, you know, there are no. I say this now, but you know, as an athlete, you, 
a loss was a loss, right? But now like in a different um, mindset, you know, there are no losses, there are just lessons, you know? So I use that a lot when I do like make them say, okay, learn from it. And then like, you know, like golf teaches you move on to the next hole, move on to the next tee. Um, but yeah, like starting out with the lasers, like even Joe, Joe Lakeham mentioned, I read an article that he had did on him and Jen, like they connected. And he said that, you know, that, that failure, um, he learned from it and, uh, but still pursued his passion, right? He went on to with the Boston Celtics and um, ownership there. And then now he's back in the Bay area, you know, with the ownership with uh, the Warriors. So he failed, but he still pursued his passion. You know, he wanted to own the team, wanted to own the sports mm -hmm. team. So, you know, it's, they, they give you lessons and they motivate you. And that the lesson is just, you know, follow your passion, right? Because, you know, in life, you're always going to lose your logo, right? You're going to lose logos that are there. And so you need to put this up on the wall behind you. You're yes, subliminally selling 20 secrets of success, right? With your baseball bat there and your beer. Yep. Can you, can you frame this? We'll get, we'll get it done. Make sure you put that up because yep. it's coming soon to a electronic digital reader near you, right? That's right. That's right. We'll we'll provide some more info on that one, Andy. I'm gonna I'm gonna dish the assist to you to uh, start off with a slam dunk on the rapid fire. Okay, um, I've been lucky enough to travel, but I think you've got me by I don't know six or seven. You got me by six or seven. Of all the places you've been, um, what one country would you say that most Americans have no clue and they should absolutely go to and understand and experience the magic of that country? There are several that could qualify for that. Um, I'm gonna give, can I give you two? I know it's, can I get- uh, You're allowed I'll to. I'll narrow it down to two, because these are the two when I think back, I think um, culturally I was, the most, um, not shocked, but culturally, just what I envisioned, what I thought I knew about it, it was so drastically different when I got there, All right? So that, that's why I'm gonna give you these two. And plus they were, they're great countries. Uh, one is uh, Turkey, Istanbul, Turkey. Um, I mean, just the whole region of Turkey. I say Istanbul, cause that's the city I played in, but what, what I thought Turkey was, you know, when I got there, like, oh my God, it's, it's, it's that, but it's so much more, right? It's, it was so much more modern in Istanbul. Like, you know, it, you know, like, of course, when you go out to the smaller countries, you saw the women more covered and more religious, but I mean, like the food, the culture, the people, like it's go, that's one of the places I would say go, right? Okay, I, we I'm got like, Turkey, go we got Turkey, we have I the minarets. The right? Have... Cause you think about, oh, it's, there's always the Middle East, but Turkey. Yeah, you might think of like Indiana Jones or something like that. Right, right, yeah, but like there's there's their culture. It's a beautiful, beautiful country. Um, so that would be one. Um, wow, now that I think about, it, I'm about to give you another country in that Middle <laughs> Eastern area, um, and that would would be uh, Israel. I grew up in Louisiana. I'm a Catholic girl. Catechism on Sundays, or well, catechism on Thursdays, Sundays. It's always in the church. Every Sunday you're in church, and I, you know, Bible study, and so. Going to Israel, it was, you know, when I went into Jerusalem in the old world, it was like catechism, full strength and like come to life. Um, so that was really like um, a great experience for me in that aspect. 
And then you go to the other side of Tel Aviv or Renana or Ashdod, the beaches are amazing. Like, I mean, the beaches are gorgeous, uh, the food. Um, another aspect is that everyone speaks English. Not everyone, but most, it's like their second language, right? So the communication was, it was easier there. So that made it even much better, but God, like, you know, there's great wine there when you go out up north and Gala, those regions. I didn't know Israel had good wine. Like, yeah, like you guys like didn't go out wine. after games. You went right back and studied game film, right? You never went out. No, I didn't really study film. Oh, so Sheree, Sheree, I got a question for you. Gold Star beer, Wiener Schnitzel, or hummus? Oh, hummus all day. All day, <laughs> every day. Oh, hummus and falafel boy Ooh, that's some good stuff like what so, was the name of the team that you played on in turkey in turkey i, I played for for two two clubs i and they're two rival clubs uh my first year in turkey i played for galatasaray oh galatasaray great soccer program too right yeah 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 great soccer and then i when i went back again i played for besitas which is also a great uh soccer team so yeah like Going to a, a football, football, let's not say soccer. No, um, I got to a it. Football game, either for Gala. Uh, I went to a Gala Tesserai Fenerbahce soccer match when I was there. Oh, like you've never experienced fandom until you've gone to a football game. Like it was, it was amazing. Like you got- Sheree, as we head up the, as we head up the 18th fairway, you like that, Jake? As we head up the 18th fairway. Not bad, not bad. Um, Not bad. <laughs> anyway. Uh, next time we have our meeting for the NCPGA Foundation Board, let's do a geography thing. Like number of countries, I think it'd be great with the board members. We can, they have no clue. You'll wow them. You'll yeah. lay them out. That, great. I, I think I think geography is the number one underrated icebreaker. I mean, yeah. if if you if you truly have traveled, right, and it, and it can spark so many different conversations. Um, obviously there's, there's many of the countries that you didn't mention, but I'll follow up with a question in that there's, you know, Israel, you mentioned English as second language, but there's also countries where there's probably no English at all. Mm. And there's probably a language you wish you would have tried to learn. So what is it? Well, probably uh, Italian. Just because you know it's such a, I don't know, it's 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 a good language. I heard. I mean, chow is you could. I mean, I never know you could use chow for so many things in um in Italian. Um, but yeah, so probably uh, Italian would be one. I tried Hebrew. That was hard. Um, one language that no matter how much I tried, I never picked up was when I played in in uh, South Korea. Um, that was hard like that like those are hard because of the characters and it's hard to speak but um probably italian i would love to to learn to speak italian all right one one question before you before i hand it off to uh andy to sink the last putt you like what i did there that was wonderful <laughs> the puns guys yeah uh okay. let me read it i'll have to i'll have to bring some i'll bring one of you two in to read the putt because perfect perfect all right shuri do you love to win or do you hate to lose? You would think they mean the same thing, right? But Which I, I'm, I'm probably, you know what? I, it takes me longer to get over a loss than to move on from a win. So I hate to lose. 
Andy? Uh, my point would be a lot of people have looked up to you and will look up to you in your career. If you're speaking to young people today, um, high school age, in, in a very complicated world, what do you tell them about now and in the future to keep them self-centered and positive? Mm -hmm. You know, my message uh, would be to um, embrace the moment. Um, I know it's like terrible things right, like right now, like um, we're now facing two classes of high school that didn't experience their senior years, didn't experience like, you know, it's two, it was the first year it got interrupted like in the spring, but this year it's been the whole year that they weren't able to be on campus interacting with their friends or no proms, you know, no graduation. So um, that could be depressive, you know, so you could, I'm going to use another reference to John Gordon, right? Is be a coffee bean. Like I think about that, like use everything now um, as a way to strengthen you, um, to learn from, uh, you know, don't, don't be the carrot and wilt, you know, from the, from the environment around you, you know, um, be the coffee bean where you absorb everything around you and then um, you use everything you absorb to positively affect everything else. Um, so I, you know, it's a tough time, but I, it's, it's been a learning moment for me, learning about myself, learning about the world, um, you know, like pandemics, like, you know, like you get to learn about so much. Um, so just use it as a, as a moment to learn and better yourself. Um, so when this is gone and, you know, like my grandma would say, this too shall pass, you know, when it, when it does pass, you know, you're, you're a better person um, moving forward. Well, we really appreciate you spending time with us today and all 18 holes of <laughs> you've experienced in life. And uh, Jake, take us home. No, Shree, really appreciate the time, the thoughts, perspectives. Look forward to having you on again in the future um, and, and certainly looking forward to uh, the impacts uh, you're going to make in, in the area and, and amongst the many lives uh, that you interact with. So appreciate it. Cherie, we'll meet later at the 19th hole. We'll have a socially distant uh, adult beverage, okay? Sounds great.